Hello, a little word of warning that this podcast contains swears and use of explicit sexual language. Therefore, it is not suitable for anyone under the age of 18 or anyone who thinks HPV is a record shop. I'm ahead of the game. Hello all, welcome back to the Smut Drop. This is your weekly roundup to the more eccentric side of sex and relationships from metro.co.uk. I'm Miranda Kane and on this week's show I'll be looking at how to turn the heat up in the bedroom and having a special chat to tie in with Metro's HPV awareness campaign with Tanya Mustafa and Dr Aziza Sesse. If you like what you hear, then please rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your finest of podcasts. And I hope you're ready because I'm about to turn this up to 11. Greetings, dearest listener. It is cold out there, and with a drop in the temperature comes a drop in your libido, apparently. No, it's not just because there are no more short shorts, topless chests, and peep toe sandals. <laughs> apparently, less vitamin D in winter means a lower mood, which often goes hand in hand with a lower sex drive. Gigi Engel, certified sex educator at 3Fun and author of All the Fucking Mistakes, tells Metro her top tips in how to reignite your sex lives this winter if you want to. Identify your brakes and accelerators. Like, we've all got things that gets in the mood and we've definitely got things that don't. For instance, I know that I like a nice, clean bedroom. I know, call me old-fashioned, but I hate it when the laundry bin is overflowing and there's the pile, you know the pile, the pile in the corner. And Gigi helpfully suggests taking time to clean up together. Ah, change your routine. Try discussing a new sexual activity, a new position, sex toy, kink, or even something simple as having sex at different times of the day or in a new location. Even small changes make a difference. Number three, masturbate more. Right, done. Next, say no more. (laughs) Uh, Okay, obviously masturbation helps us to know what we want during sex. So it means that we can tell our partners what we want too. Brilliant. Plus, by wanking and having an orgasm, you're reinforcing that positive cycle. You know, you're telling your brain, this is fun. Remember, we could keep doing this. What a blast. Uh, And her final tip is embrace what winter has to offer. It's winter. Oh, come on. Frankly, if you don't want me in my oversized jumper and booty slippers, then you don't get me in my summer chemise. (laughs) How can you not love cozying up under a blanket, putting some candles on, watching a terrible festive film? Gigi also suggests taking time out for a holiday. But hey, come on. Times are hard. And you can buy a candle from Poundland. Just saying. Look, for more tips on turning up the heat without turning up the thermostat, know what I'm saying? Head over to metro.co.uk. But you know who's hot enough already? It's this week's guests. 
Ladies and gentlemen, gays and nays, this week we're getting up close and very personal about something that affects 80% of people, HPV. Who better to help me on this journey than the curator of the Metro's recent You, Me and HPV series, journalist and lifestyle reporter, Tanyelle Mustafa. Together, we're going to be quizzing our resident expert and hoping to destigmatize and clarify some misconceptions and clarify some common questions. That's why I'm delighted to have NHS GP, GP educator and honorary senior clinical lecturer, Dr. Aziza Sese, answering our many questions. Hello, ladies. Hello. Hi. Hello. How are we both? Good. I'm excited to talk about this. We need to get talking about this subject way more. Absolutely. Tanyelle, I'm coming straight over to you first. You created the You, Me and HPV series, uh, which is a series of articles in metro.co.uk, demystifying, destigmatizing, and basically, you know, teaching us a lot about HPV. What made you want to raise awareness of it? So when I turned 25, I went and had my first smear test or cervical cancer screening and it came back that I had HPV and abnormal cells and that I needed to have a colposcopy and biopsy to check how progressed those abnormal cells were. When I got the letter, I was terrified Um, because HPV is linked to sex. I didn't want to tell anyone that I had it. I felt a lot of shame and I felt very scared and alone in that. And then I ended up eventually confiding in a friend and she said, I have it too. I have the abnormal cells as well. And I've also been scared to tell anyone. And so the more I sort of researched it and the more I started to open up to people, the more that was the response I got. And then I thought, okay, we've got, we've got to write about this. And it started off, I pitched it to my editor as just one article. And the more I researched, the more I was like, I can't cover all the ground that I want to cover in, in one piece. This needs to be a week-long deep dive. We need to look at a load of different perspectives, not just women, and really involve as many people as possible because HPV, you know, the H in it stands for human. It affects, you know, we're all able to be affected by it. So um, that's why it was really important for me to make this series and get people talking about it, hopefully. Yeah, one of the things that I read was how that it can it can affect men, and I think we we're not told that at all. I didn't know that at all, but it it can affect everybody, like you said, all humans, all shapes, sizes, every gender. It's it, but and yet one of the things that you also wrote was that when you were told about this, you weren't given any leaflets. There was no leaflets there to explain what was happening. Absolutely. Yeah. So when I had my colposcopy, um, that's where there wasn't any leaflets. And um, she just drew out for me the the person, the person that was doing my colposcopy at the end of it, she just drew out for me on a bit of paper with a biro, the different stages of cell changes that you can have, and then kind of highlighted where mine were on that scale. And I appreciated her doing that because I think she went above and beyond. She did more than what most people probably would have done in that situation. But I was a bit confused as to why there wasn't any sort of reassuring information I could take home. I was told to look at um, some charity websites, which I did, but that was me kind of being proactive then and actually bothering to look at it. I could have gone home and just felt very isolated and alone. Mm. Have you had much of a reaction from people who felt like that as well and then read the You, Me and HPV series? Yeah, that's what was so humbling about it, to be honest. I had so many women, a couple of men as well, but mostly women reaching out to me saying, firstly, thank you for writing it and opening up about my own experience, but also just saying I have felt so scared and now I feel 
more empowered and I feel less anxious about it. It feels more normalized. And that was the main reason I wanted to get this series out there. That's what I wanted to achieve because it is, as you said at the start, it is so common. Eight, eight in 10 of us will get it. You know, when you don't know that statistic, when you don't hear people talking about it because of the stigmas and the shame that, you know, we're going to come on to, I'm sure, that's when it feels scary. Because if you don't have the knowledge, then you're not empowered. And with the stigma and, and like the, the, I don't know, I hate saying the feelings of shame, but because it's an STI, like you, you automatically get that. So did that evaporate a bit more with what you learnt or was it like because you, you, you empowered yourself by writing these articles what helped you get over that feeling of of shame and stigma yeah that's a really good question because I must admit even though I mean I wouldn't have exposed myself and put myself out in that way if I didn't feel that I had made my own peace with it to begin with but even you know the week before it was going out I did think oh you know, I'm going to post about this on my Instagram. Some men that I have had sex with, dated and so on in the past still follow me there and they're going to see this. Are they going to think, oh, why didn't she tell me that she has HPV? I was dating someone at the time. I thought, oh, is he going to have a problem with that? Um, none of them contacted me. I don't know if any of them had a problem internally about it. I didn't hear about it if they did. But, you know, even even though I had accepted it, in that moment, I still felt, oh, is someone going to have something to say here? And I did have a few weirdos on Twitter, you know, saying some horrible things like that. But, you know, you kind of as a journalist, you kind of just you get used to that and you don't really absorb it. So that's definitely a thing. And the way I sort of how did I get over it? That's a really good question. I think it just took time and the normalizing of hearing so many friends say, oh, me too. I have it as well. It's not something you can test for in a standard STI check when you go and, you know, get yourself you know, just routinely tested for, it doesn't come up there. So you can't know whether you have it unless you go and have your cervical cancer screening. So you can't know who you got it from. You can't know when you got it. Um, it can be dormant in the body for years before it actually is picked up in a test. So that's the other thing. I think when you kind of realise there really is nothing you can do in that sense, you probably will come into contact with it at some point in your life, whether or not you know it. And I think it's accepting that. Um, and realizing that it's not through any fault of your own, you haven't done something bad, you're not, you know, you can still get it while using a condom, you can practice safe sex and do all the things that you are, you know, in quotation marks, supposed to do. Mm. And you can still get it. Now, this seems like a brilliant time to bring in our expert, <laughs> Dr. Aziza Sese. Hello, Dr. Aziza. I can see you nodding your head very enthusiastically. I love it. How are you? I'm very well and just really blown away and extremely empowered right now. I mean, listening to Tanyal talk and also reading your articles, I have to say I was very impressed with your level of research and the level of knowledge that you shared to the nation. I think it's brilliant, extremely important, and we cannot get enough of it. Um, there's so much that I want to delve into, but I'll allow you to lead me into the questions that you wanted to specifically answer. I just wanted to pick up on something really quickly that Tanya was saying about um, telling partners. Is that something that you you should do? Uh, it feels like, I don't know, it feels a bit strange because it's we're dealing with something that could lead on to cervical cancer and because it is something that you can't protect against using condoms and the normal kind of ways that we would fight against other STIs. So what would be your advice, first of all, when it comes to telling partners? 
to be completely honest, it's not like the chlamydia or gonorrhea where we know that in the long term, um, if especially with those conditions, because they're asymptomatic as well, um, in the long term, they could lead to quite devastating conditions as well, like pelvic inflammatory disease, which is a serious infection, which if it goes into the bloodstream can become um, sepsis and can be quite serious or it can lead into infertility. In the case of human papillomavirus, HPV, Yes, it can in the long term potentially lead into cancer for the individuals, but it's not one where you have to disclose to your partner. Um, because as Tanya says, it's not one where, you know, you know exactly who you picked it up from or um, or the fact that you would definitely infect the next person. It, it's, a, it's a really difficult virus, to be honest, but you don't have to. Um, but at the same time, like Tanya says, we need to get rid of that shame and the taboo associated with it. So if you feel comfortable enough to tell your partner, um, as she said, it is a virus that 80% of us, and you've said the same thing, 80% of us will become inf- infected with at some stage in our life. I think it's also important to mention that just as the number is quite common, 90% of us, it's said, will clear it within two to three years. And that's really important to note. Our body is really good at actually fighting off this virus as well. So that taboo that's associated with that fear of, oh my God, um, I have this virus, what's going to happen? If you also listen to your body and allow your body to, to give it the time to clear it, we also have that reassurance in some respect. But it's also important to mention that if you've been found to have HPV um, through cervical screening, usually what happens is then you get checked to see whether there are any cell changes. So Tanyelle mentioned that when she was picked up to have HPV, um, she was also found to have cell changes. So not everybody with HPV will have cell changes. So HPV, this virus, when it attaches to the cells, it encourages cell changes. Okay, which eventually could potentially lead to cancer. But it doesn't always do that. Now, as part of the cervical screening, they check to see if you have HPV. And because they know that it could potentially cause cell changes, they then check for the cell changes. If you don't have cell changes, then you're followed up every year usually to see whether or not you still have the HPV because usually your body, again, like I said, can clear it. Because some people, they may have HPV this year and then they have their screening the following year and they're clear of it. Some people may still have the HPV, but no cell changes still. Or some people can develop the cell changes. And and when that happens, when you have both HPV and cell changes, um, Tanya mentioned she then was referred for colposcopy. So colposcopy is basically a procedure that's done in hospital where essentially they look closer at the cervix using a microscope. So you're in a hospital setting with the specialist. And in a similar way as the cervical screening, they put this device called the speculum, which helps to open up the vaginal wall so they can clearly see the cervix. And then they have a very close look at it. They may put a dye or um, some form of liquid so that they're able to expose the abnormal or the cell changes more clearly. And depending on what they see, they then either treat you by there and then potentially just removing, scraping those abnormal cells, or they may call you back to remove it um, by a more specific procedure. I know I've gone into so much depth, but I just wanted to explain that that's how it, it usually works. 
And then following on from that, they decide, oh, do we need to um, keep reviewing you at colposcopy? Or you may actually just go back into the routine screening where you're seeing um, less frequently. I had a colposcopy once and I can tell you it's not a it's not a very nice experience. <laughs> it's a, they do their best. I had a lovely pair of nurses and above the, my head where you were sort of staring at the ceiling, they put a picture of the Muppets and it was like, well, that's <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm 35 years old and I'm staring at a bottomless Kermit. Lovely. Thank you. So <laughs> HPV just seems like a bit of a twat. It just doesn't seem to know what it wants out of life. It feels like me when I was 16 years old like sometimes it can lead to to cancer to cancer cells or to cell changes in your body sometimes it just buggers off and leaves you alone <laughs> Danielle please I want to hand over the mic to you because you are the one who've been who's been researching into this and talking to people about this so what are the the questions you'd like to ask Dr Aziza Okay, so I guess the first thing I want to ask, and we've, we have talked about it because we've talked a little bit about the shame, but I want to talk about the scare factor because that was something that so many of the women that reached out to me, that was the word they used, scared. What do you think we need to be doing? And also from like the medical side, because when you get the letter for context, if you've, you know, you've never had this letter before, it's very clinical language as it should be. But if you're not from a medical background, that makes it more scary because you don't know what it means and the cell changes are kind of graded you get cin one two or three or it can be a totally other combination of letters um and if you don't know what that means it's like well enough does what what does that mean for me um so i guess what do you think needs to happen from from you know from kind of all angles so that we make the process of getting diagnosed and going through the necessary steps less intimidating and and nerve-wracking for people because as you rightly said in most cases it will clear on its own and it will not lead to cancer so how can we take that fear a bit out of it honestly i think it all has to do with knowledge and us empowering individuals with knowledge quite early on so i work quite closely with the eve appeal so they're the uk's leading gynecological cancer charity and they've recently launched this program called know your body which is being implemented into schools so you're having children between the ages of 7 to 13 and this is boys and girls because it's everyone's problem as we said and they're teaching different basic gynecological knowledge anatomy menstrual cycles and they're even talking about HPV and cervical cancer. And some people feel, oh, this is too young. Why are we teaching them at that age? But I believe that the earlier we feed in this information to children, the earlier that they're aware of these things, the more that they're normalized and the less likely there'll be stigma associated with it. If, you know, at a young age you're told, oh, there's this virus called HPV, yes, you can pick it up through sexual contact. But this is also another important thing that we need to speak about because you you say sexually transmitted infection automatically in, in a lot of people's head, it's like, oh, that means that the person is promiscuous or they've had multiple partners and so on and so forth. But actually, this virus spreads by any form of skin to skin contact. And that could be as simple as, you know, just rubbing your genitals against each other or fingering or oral sex or you know, some people share sex toys, those sort of things. So it doesn't have to be, you know, the traditional penis in vaginal intercourse. It could be any of those, you know, simple things which some people don't even class as 
sex. <laughs> so I think that's also important. And when we talk about the promiscuity, it also has nothing to do with that because you could pick it up even from your very first encounter, sexual encounter. So I think that definitely can play a massive role. The fact that we educate people early enough so that, yes, we remove the stigma and embarrassment and so on, so people can seek help um, earlier and discuss things more freely. I also think it's important from our side, and I, I completely agree and get where you're coming from, Tanyelle, because I've had multiple patients who have called me in distress about their cervical screening results. Like, oh, I, I'm told I have HPV. Oh my God, what does that mean? Or they're saying that I have changes to myself. What does this mean? So I believe that we definitely need to put more information in those letters um, that are easier for people to understand. I'm, I'm a big advocate for those sort of things um, as well. Absolutely. And actually, you talked about being promiscuous. That was something I wanted to ask you next, because one thing that I've had a few people say to me anecdotally is, I've been with my partner for five years. I've just had my first smear test and it turns out I have HPV. Is he going to think or are they going to think that I've cheated on them or have they cheated? And now I have it. And, you know, there's this big confusion around that. And as you rightly say, like you cannot even have had penis and vagina sex or full sex. You could just have had foreplay and get it. How do you help patients that are kind of anxious around that issue? And, you know, particularly the issue of like cheating. Yeah, I've had that question asked multiple times. Actually, um, you've had married couples who they've gone for their screening for so many years and all of a sudden now I have HPV. Has he been cheating? I think it's really important. And you did mention this earlier on that you can have HPV and it can lie completely dormant or we call it latent where it's not infected. So it's not picked up, um, but you actually have it in your body. And then for some weird reason, sometimes it's environmental factors. Maybe your immune system um, might be low. You had a cold or something like that um, that triggers it off. And then you test pos positive for HPV. So I think it's really important for people to be aware that you can have this virus just laying in you dormant for 10 years or so um, and you're none the wiser and it doesn't mean um, that you know someone has cheated or that you've cheated and like um, you mentioned earlier because it is from foreplay or just anything as simple as fingering it doesn't have to be penis and vaginal intercourse you may have done it years before as a teenager before you got into a relationship with your partner and that's probably the case in in that regard that's why it's also important to mention so there's some people who think well I don't need to go for my cervical screening anymore well I've been abstinent for five to ten years but it's important that if you've had any form of sexual contact at all any form at all you need to go for your cervical screening because as I say you may have the virus and you don't know because the majority of the times you're completely asymptomatic and it may well be that after all that time eventually it's caused the cell changes which could lead to cervical cancer. I, I just want to just nip in quickly and just ask about the vaccine because we were talking about younger people and younger people are offered the HPV vaccine still. Yes. What about if you're a bit yes. older and, and you've missed that that threshold? Is that something that, that someone of my age should should worry about? Yeah, so the HPV vaccine is brilliant. And in fact, last year they confirmed that it is as effective as almost 90% in preventing cervical cancer and also um, in in cell changes occurring, preventing the cell changes from occurring at all. So in the UK, 11 to 13 year olds are um, have the 
vaccine or they're offered the vaccine at that age. And it initially started with 11 to 13 year old girls in 2008. And then in 2019, they realized, actually, no, we need to also vaccinate the boys because, (laughs) you know, it affects everybody. So, yes. So younger children are getting the vaccines. And what's really brilliant is that the newer versions have more of the high-risk HPV. So they cover more high-risk HPV. When we say high-risk HPV, we mean the ones that are closely linked with cancer. So they protect against um, nine altogether, yeah? Um, Nine Mm -hmm. HPV. Now, in the UK, up to the age of 25, you are entitled to have the HPV vaccine for free. You can go to your GP and say, look, I didn't get it at the younger age. Um, Please, can you offer it to me now? So from the age of 11 to 13, they're offered two doses, six months apart. But after the age of 15, because the older you are, the more likely you will be sexually active. And these vaccines are much, much more effective if it's done beforehand. So after the age of 15, they offer three doses um, that are given over a period of time. Um, And that's what happens. So up to the age of 25. Now, if you're over 25, you can still have the vaccine for free if you fall into certain categories. So if you're a man who has sex with men, if you're a man or a woman who has HIV, if you're transgender or if you're a sex worker, you can get it for free up to the age of 45. Now you can opt to purchase it over the age of 25, up to the age of 45, because until now that they believe that up until that stage, it's effective. It costs about 120 to 190 per injection, per shot, and you need to have three doses. So that's what some people opt to do. They believe that there is some sort of effectiveness. It's better than not having it at all. But it may be that they might have already been infected with HPV. But because the newer jab has nine different types of HPV. Um, so when we talk about types of HPV, I didn't say this before. There are over 100 different types of HPV. And 13 of these are known as high risk that are associated with cancer. So, yeah, the, the newer dose, the newer versions of the vaccines cover nine Um, of the HPV. So the hope is that if you do get it, even at the later stage, hopefully you can cover some that you may not have been infected with, but whether or not you have been, you don't know. It's just, it's a difficult one. (laughs) Danielle, have you had the vaccine or would you consider getting the vaccine or would it, would it actually work if you've already had HPV or? That's a good question. I'm not sure because I guess the vaccine only covers you for nine, at the time when I would have been able to get it it was less than nine strains it's it's, they've added more to it in recent years but I don't know what strain of HPV I've come into contact with so I don't know if it would still have much effect what what do you think so that's that's where I was saying it, it can be quite difficult because we don't know what strain you've already been exposed to. I mean, the hope is that you would not have been exposed to all nine. So maybe it will cover you for some of them. Now, what we what we know is that type 16 and 18, those account to 70 percent of cervical cancer. So they're really strongly linked with cervical cancer. Um, but the, the, the Gardasil 9, which has the nine versions. It includes the 16 and 18, but it also includes 31, 33, and so on and so forth. Yeah, the jury's out, (laughs) basically. It likes to cast its net wide, doesn't it? It really likes to 
get out there and, you know, see what sticks. Wow. But to answer your question, so this is something that I've not disclosed yet, but it really, really annoys me when I talk about this stuff. I have not had the vaccine and that is not through not wanting it. Um, when I was at school, I was in the, I think the second year group that were offered it and um, you needed your parents' permission to get it. And unfortunately, my parents did not give me the permission to get it, which I was very angry about. But I was 13, so there's not much you can do about that. As a 21 or 22-year-old, I went to the doctor and I said, I didn't get this. I would like to get it now. Um, And my doctor told me that I was too old for it. I now know that I could have got it, for free up until the age of 25. But I was told then that, that wasn't possible and that I would have to spend, as you said, it's over a hundred pounds per shot and you would need three. I didn't have the money for that at that point in time. Um, you know, I was fresh out of uni. And so I didn't get, I didn't go privately with it. And I wish I had known for a fact that actually I could have got it for free up until the age of 25, because I definitely would have done that. As we said, knowledge is power. Um, and now I'm 26, so I can't get it for free. And I, because I'm already now, so I got last year was when I got diagnosed with HPV. I've already had my one year checkup this year um, and I still have it. So it means that next year I'll have another checkup. So I think I probably won't pay for it Um not because I don't believe in it, but because I'm already sort of in the system, I guess now, and I'm being checked um, each year for as long as I need to be checked. But it is something that really frustrates me that I haven't had it. Um, I want it. I actively tried to get it and unfortunately was given the wrong information. I'm I'm really sorry that you've had that experience. Um, I, I've had people who've said similar things. I think that definitely there needs to be more work on, on our end as GPs. And I'll put my hand up that sometimes the knowledge isn't there. So we yeah, we need to do better in that regard. So I'm sorry that you you had that experience. But I'm also I'm I'm glad and also sorry um that you touched on the fact that parents sometimes um can be a factor to, to stopping this. And, and part of it is because they link HPV with sexual activity. So they some parents genuinely believe that um, having your child have this vaccine will increase or encourage them to have intercourse or to, to engage in sexual activity. So that, again, <clears throat> is something that we need to keep educating all generations about because there's just so much misconception so many taboos and and stigmas around these things and I think what frustrates me so much when it comes to this especially is cervical cancer is one of the most preventable cancers ever like we know that the link between cervical cancer and HPV is very, very close. I mean, some people go as high as 99.8. So that's according to Cancer Research UK. It can be prevented. We can do things to prevent it. When people have it, I mean, um, the the prognosis isn't great. I mean, obviously, the the more advanced it is. And people are suffering and dying unnecessarily when we can, we can prevent it. And the World Health Organization, like this is one of their biggest goals. We need to obliterate cervical cancer and we can by the HPV vaccine, by partaking in um, cervical screening, by 
smoking. Smoking is another factor that can increase our chances of being infected um, with HPV because we know that smoking affects our immune system and we need our immune system in order to get rid of HPV. So these are some basic things that we can do to try and prevent it. But like the biggest things are get the HPV vaccine, attend cervical screening, please, please, please. Yeah. And the smoking thing, that's such a good point, because when I was researching this, you just don't make the link with smoking you think lungs, you you know, and, and mouth, you don't think that part of the body. And the more I looked into it, the more, yes, as you're rightly saying, it does have a huge impact. And then a friend actually told me when I told her I was researching all of this before we went live with the series, she told me that she was unable to clear HPV for about five years. She kept going back and they said, you still have it, you still have it. And she was a smoker for those five years. Then she was told, you know, if you stop smoking, it might help. She quit smoking. The next year she went back, it was gone. And, you know, it it might have gone anyway, but she struggled for five years. So that is something, yeah, you just don't think about. And we did do an article about that as well. So there is more information there. But also that's another thing I want to ask you about. You said earlier, most people get rid of HPV within two to three years. What if you don't? That's a really difficult one for me to answer, if I'm honest. It's definitely something for the specialist. But I had this discussion on IG Live with a gynecologist. She explained that she she struggles with HPV. She has it and she's not able to get rid of it. And it's something that she's constantly being seen and reviewed for herself. And she was considering getting the HPV vaccine to see if that might help. But I don't know, is the honest answer. I'm, I'm not sure. I think they'll just keep reviewing you because we know that if you have HPV, you're at higher risk of developing cervical cancer. But what's important to say is it can take up to 10 years for it to eventually develop to that. And I think why it's important to keep going for your checks is that they can check to see if you have cell changes. If you have cell changes, they take it out. And then again, they check. If you have cell changes, they take it out. Because the point is, if they leave it to continue to progress, So you mentioned, and I don't want to get scientific, but you mentioned that there are different levels of cell changes. So they're called CIN. C stands for cervical. I is intraepithelial. N is neoplasia. Neoplasia means cell changes, basically, or new change. Um, So there's CIN1, which is low grade. And then there's CIN2, which is sort of medium. And CIN3 is severe. And then you have cancer. There's also CGIN, um, which is a different type. But essentially, the, the, the more severe it is, the more likely they are to treat it because then you can move down to that next step. For some people on CIN1, um, their body sometimes can just resolve that by themselves. So they don't always treat cell changes. They sometimes say, okay, let's see if your body can clear it and we'll call you back in that six months or a year. And for some people, they clear it completely. But for others, they progress down to say CIN2 and then they'll need the, the treatment. But I think as long as we're regularly monitoring, then hopefully we can prevent that progression to, to cancer. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It is such a difficult question, that one. It's a good question. It's an important one to to talk about for sure. (laughs) I really love the DEFCON stages as well. It's like, are we going to nuclear war? What's happening? (laughs) (laughs) But it's it's scary. Um, I get it. I get it. I get why it's... I just want to go to... I just want to finish off with just that first moment, just to go to someone's 
first instinct, because I think this is where it talks like this and women like you, this is where it becomes really important. You've just found out you've got HPV. Uh, Dr. Zay, what is the thing that someone should do? And also from Tanyelle, what's the thing, you know, from a medical point of view and from a personal point of view, what is the first thing you do when you find out you've got HPV? Let's start with, let's start with Tanyelle first. What was, what's your advice? Okay, don't go to Dr. Google because you will stress yourself out. Go to the charities, as we mentioned, Joe's Cervical Cancer Trust and the Eve Appeal. There you will find accurate information that isn't scaremongering in any way. Also, just breathe. Um, go to the appointment if you need to have a colposcopy, if that is if that information is in there. Make sure you, yeah, don't chicken out of it. Make sure you go. It will be over before you know it. And you'll be glad you went. And you can also... This is another thing. Think of the questions you want to ask. I think we're so scared of asking questions a lot of the time. If you get the opportunity to speak to a specialist about this, have a think before. What do I need? To, what am I going to need to know here to leave this appointment feeling a bit better? Don't be scared to ask. And if they don't know, you know, they'll say I don't know, or they most likely will reassure you. And also, as you know, let's just go to go back right to the start. Talk to your friends about it because the chances are, if you're going through it. They are too. Mm, great advice. Great. Dr. Aziza? Honestly, not very much to add on to that. Um, and we're here as GPs. I know sometimes um, you don't necessarily get the answers that you, you are looking for, but we are here. We do know the answers and we can support you and help you through this. So you could just call us. Also, um, both Joe's and Eva Peel have helplines. So if you're panicky and you, maybe you're nervous about talking to your friends about it, you can call these helplines for free. And they're there. And they again, they can give you evidence-based answers and just the reassurance that you need. Um, so, yeah, just don't, don't suffer in silence. Don't go for it alone. Definitely get the help from the accurate, reputable resources. And don't hide the letters. Don't hide them under your mattress and hope it goes away. Go to the checkups, go to the screenings. It's people are really nice and they want to help. And also look out for the You, Me and HPV series on metro.co.uk. <laughs> Covered a lot there, a lot more ground, you know, pertaining to lots of different people. There's loads of things on there. I learned so much just from reading it for research for this. So there is so much out there. I do a lot of health content creation. I also do a lot on cervical screening and cervical cancer awareness. So if like you ever were looking, um, I have a lot of information on my Instagram. Talk to Dr. Sissage, just for information if you're looking for it. <laughs> I was just about to ask if people want to find you. Where can they find you? What are your details? Uh, so talk to Dr. Sisse. Uh, that's on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook, as well as YouTube. It's always the same. And yeah, there's loads of information on there as well if you're looking. <laughs> Brilliant. And Tanyelle? So on my Instagram, I did quite a lot of posting around the series when it came out. So you can find me there at, at Tanyelle Edit. And on Twitter, I'm my full name, Tanyelle Mustafa. Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me today. We'll make sure that we post all the links to the charities in the notes for the, for the podcast itself. Thank you so much for joining me on this week's Smut Drop. And yeah, we will keep our lookout for you and all the information will be put in the podcast notes. Thank you very much, ladies. Thank you. Thank you so much. Look, I always end up with doing a, a little what we learn, little bit at the end of everything. But 
honestly, I learned, <laughs> I learned so much. HPV is one of those things that is so clouded in mystery because as Dr. Aziza was saying, there is so many things that it, it can do, but it might not do. And it might do this. And sometimes it sticks around and sometimes it doesn't. And if you're smoking, that doesn't help. And, and all these different things. And sometimes like I think to myself, well, I'm, I'm 41. What do I need to worry about it? And obviously, you know, I, I, it's not something where you're like, oh, I need to worry, worry. But yeah, like keep on top of it. And ladies, if you're not going for your smear test, then what are you doing with your life? Make sure that you don't get scared by any kind of diagnosis like that. As Dr. Aziza was saying, there are places you can go and we'll put the links up in the podcast notes. And there are people you can talk to. And I think that Tanya has been such an inspiration talking about her experiences and what she went through. And I really hope that we can all come together and empower each other and talk about these things to make sure that we too destigmatize it and we do make sure that people can can be saved and and they don't have to go through some of the more traumatic experiences later on next week i want your first date ideas yes we're going to be talking about dating do you push the boat out or do you keep it simple will you never let them out of your escape room or do you prefer to eat out to help out you can slide into my dms just look out for miranda kane on twitter tiktok and instagram or email smutdrop at metro.co.uk i've been miranda kane smutdrop was produced by pineapple audio production for metro.co.uk if you are enjoying this weekly slice of cream audio pie then please please leave me a nice review it really helps to boost the podcast and my ego In the meantime, I'm going to be back to prick up your ears next week. And remember, don't do anything I wouldn't do. But if you do, name it after me. (laughs) 